Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Romans 11, 33 through 36 and 12, 1 through 2. ¿Qué profundas son las riquezas de la sabiduría y del conocimiento de Dios? ¿Qué indescifrables sus juicios e impenetrables sus caminos? ¿Quién ha conocido la mente del Señor o quién ha sido su consejero? ¿Quién le ha dado primero a Dios para que luego Dios le pague? Porque todas las cosas proceden de Él y existen por Él y para Él. A él sea la gloria por siempre. Amén. Por lo tanto, hermanos, tomando en cuenta la misericordia de Dios, les ruego que cada uno de ustedes, en adoración espiritual, ofrezca su cuerpo como sacrificio vivo, santo y agradable a Dios. No se amolden al mundo actual, sino sean transformadas mediante la renovación de su mente. Así podrán comprobar cuál es la voluntad de Dios, buena, agradable y perfecta. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Anna. Um, yeah, we've had a great weekend doing some of the plan, uh, training for prospective church planters. And just one fun story, uh, one of the things that we did in the afternoon was we actually um, had them do a cash mob at our friends over at El Barista on 3rd Avenue. And so, you know, we had a group of 50, so we divided them into two. So half of them went to uh, El Barista, and we, you know, all bought coffee and that sort of thing. We all went to the back room. And so there were, like, several, like, just regular patrons that didn't know that they were about to be descended upon by this large group of prospective church planters coming from all over the city. And so at some point, we uh, actually had Emmanuel Preco, who's the owner. He was available, and he uh, was available to share his story with us. And so... Uh, he came, and I was kind of like drawing everybody together, apologizing to like there was two girls that were just trying to catch up and have brunch. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we're a bunch of entrepreneurs and church leaders that are here, and we're about to really mess up your brunch. Uh, but they stuck around, and there's a woman in the back who was just kind of looking around saying, who are in the world are all these people? Uh, but Emmanuel shared his story, and then afterwards, uh, the woman in the back came up to me, and she was like, I got to tell you something. I was here in the corner. And I was just here trying to do my quiet time with God. And suddenly I kind of looked up and I was suddenly apparently surrounded by people who were trying to start churches all over the country. And she was like, it was just amazing, just a real encouragement. And she was sharing with me how, you know, she's sensing that God has been leading her to just walk the streets of East Harlem and just pray for it block by block. And so, uh, and we had actually sent out all of our church planters to do prayer walks in our neighborhood and just uh, share what they saw, pray for what they saw, and so I was sharing with her uh, that, and so she was just super encouraged. So anyways, uh, for me, it was just a great story. Like, you know, God is up to stuff, and he doesn't always need me to be the one doing it or need me to be the one kind of um, leading it or pushing it. Uh, God is up to stuff, and he's really alive and well. So uh, that same day while these church planters were doing um, prayer walks, some of you folks, our volunteers, were doing trash pickup with God Loves East Harlem t-shirts. And so they came back like, yo, Justin, your people are like everywhere. Like everybody, God loves East Harlem. I couldn't get away from that message all over the streets. And so 
it was just a really fun day to see a lot of things converging. And uh, just for me, I walked away with a real sense that God is on the move. And so if you're with us and you've been with us for a while, just be encouraged uh, what I, I sense God is doing. And if you're new, uh, get involved. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we're really uh, excited for that. Uh, so today we're going to be continuing on our worship in our, in our sermon series. Uh, <clears throat> but let me open us up with a quote that has always kind of gripped my imagination. This is a, by a guy named Mark Greif who was, used to be a professor of literature at the New School uh, downtown. Uh, he wrote a book that's a collection of essays called Against Everything. That's the name of the book. The first chapter was Against Exercise. And I was like, oh, this is kind of an interesting book. I might be able to get behind that, right, against exercise. But here's what he wrote as as the uh, intro to this uh, collection of essays. He says, I wrote these essays asking what would happen if you started to push back against the things that you do without even thinking and the values that our culture imposes on us every single day. And then he says this, I kind of feel at the mercy of forces I don't understand. Constant messages all telling you how you should live, how much their corporation cares about you. It's all kind of frivolous stuff, I suppose, but I think those frivolous activities, when you add them all up, they turn out to be your life. And what captured my imagination about this quote was this notion where here's a person who's not a person of religious faith, you know, wouldn't call himself a religious believer, not that I know of, but he noticed that he says, I kind of feel at the mercy of forces I don't understand. Uh, Our topic for today is the second core value here at Redeemer East Harlem uh, that we call spiritual formation. And for me, it's the belief that all of us are actually being formed spiritually all the time, every moment of the day. The question is, what's forming us? Uh, What are we allowing to shape us? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're in a series called DNA. We've been looking at all the core values. Last week was core value number one, personal conversion. Today we're looking at this core value number two, spiritual formation. And to do that, we're going to be looking at this passage in Romans 12 that Hannah read to us. And let me just take us through the text using three headings. First, I want to look at the, con- the forces that conform. Secondly, we'll look at the beauty that transforms. And then thirdly, the life that is reformed. All right, so... I'm working hard for you guys. I'm making these points rhyme. So you all better remember some of this stuff, okay? So the the forces that conform, the beauty that transforms, a life that is reformed, all right? Okay, so first, uh, the forces that conform. uh, We see that in verse 2 where it says, chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul is very clear. He simply says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Therefore, Paul, he sees at work all around us these forces that conform. So I still remember, this is back uh, when I was first starting in pastoral ministry. I used to lead a team of uh, youth group kids to uh, New Mexico, and we worked at a, with a missionary on a Navajo reservation out there. And one of the things that we did there, just kind of as a day off, we went to this place called Monument Valley. It's kind of right on the corner. It's in Utah. And I remember pulling up in our big van. I was driving this big church van, 15-passenger van, and this group of like 12 Korean kids all kind of pile out. So this is, we pull up like that. And we're, we pull up to Monument Valley, and we're on the top of the canyon. We look down. And if you've ever been there, it is this vast canyon. And what's amazing about it is in the canyon, there are these rock formations that take on, look, look like different monuments. They almost look like sculptures that were placed throughout the floor of this canyon. But it's breathtaking when you pull up. 
But what really uh, I will never forget about that is that when we pulled out, there was a placard that just explained what you're seeing when you look down in Monument Valley. And you see this vast canyon, but what you read on that placard is that this entire canyon was shaped by the gentle winds and the dripping of rain and the rolling of rocks over time, that the whole thing, that entire canyon was carved out by the imperceptible uh, forces of the gentle winds and the dripping of rain year over year over year, century over century, millennia over millennia, that this thing of vast beauty had been carved out by this, this gentle, imperceptible force. There are forces like that that are carving out the canyons of your soul every moment of every day. And the question that we need to wrestle with is a question, what are the forces that we're allowing to shape us? What are the winds that we're constantly putting our souls in front of? Uh, What are the waters that are steadily and constantly trickling through our souls, carving out canyons? What are those things that we're constantly immersing ourselves in? And if you think about for that for yourself, you might have some answers that come to mind very quickly. As I thought about it, there are a few that came to mind. The first thing that I think, with the first force that I think is constantly shaping our souls are the winds of consumerism. And what does it do to our souls? What are the caverns that it carves out of our souls? Well, it carves out of our souls these be- this belief that we should be able to get when, what we want when we want within 24 hours. Have you ever waited for a package for actually five days? It's like agony. You're like, what kind of suffering is God allowing in my life that this free shipping is taking five days? Right? It's carving out in the canyons of our soul this belief that I should be able to get what I want when I want it. I'm entitled. There are forces that are, that are carving out the canyons in our soul that are telling us, my comfort is my highest good. There are forces that are telling our souls that says, you can consume your way to happiness. You can consume your way to fulfillment. You can consume your way to a good society. You can consume your way to a just world. And those forces are constant. Those forces are shaping our souls to a point that no matter how much we have, we know that there's somebody who has more, who has better. Imperceptible wins. Or I think another thing that's carving out the the caverns of our soul are the waters, the slow trickling waters of entertainment and distraction. Social media or streaming video or cable news or whatever those things might be. Did you know that in, this was in early 2022, uh, the average person spends three hours and 15 minutes on their phone every day? That's 23 hours per week. That's like one whole day out of the week. Uh, kids between the age of 8 and 18 spend on average seven and a half hours in front of a screen per day for entertainment purposes. Seven and a half hours a day. That those are the forces. And what are those forces doing? If you're on social media for that long, what are those forces doing? They're stoking the fires of outrage. 
They're stoking the fires of envy. You're looking at the curated lives of others. You're seeing the best parts, the, cur- the most curated parts of the best parts of other people's lives, and you're comparing them with the worst parts and the hardest moments of your own life. And so it's not strange that the caverns that are being carved out of our soul are caverns of anxiety and depression. Uh, caverns of fear and anger and outrage. And we do these things for hours upon hours, and then we're kind of surprised. Why am I such an anxious person? Why am I such an angry person? They're forces that are imperceptibly shaping our souls. Or I think the force that's probably shaping our souls above all of this is the forces of self-fulfillment, that this is the highest good. This is what our culture tells us at every single turn. They're the forces that shape out these, uh, that carve out these canons that says, whatever you desire, whatever is your truth, no one can tell you otherwise. That anyone disagreeing with you is a form of violence. That you must be free to fully express who you are, and anything less than that is a form of oppression. That these are the constant forces that are shaping. Now, here's what's challenging to me as a pastor. You take these forces that are carving out the caverns of our souls and then an hour and a half a week you sprinkle a few Bible verses on top of these forces and we think that somehow Christians are going to be different. But instead, what are we creating? We are creating consumerism but with Bible verses sprinkled on top. And that's what we're seeing in the church. We're creating entertainment, the thirst for constant entertainment and distraction. And we sprinkle a few Bible verses on top. And then we get surprised that Christians come to church expecting entertainment and an experience. Uh, We take this force of self-fulfillment, self-expression, and we sprinkle a few Bible verses on top, and then we're surprised when we find that people believe the gospel is telling me that I'm the most important person in the universe. You see, you can have all the right stated beliefs, but if the Word of God, if the Bible is not actually becoming the main shaping voice of your soul, the primary wind that you're placing yourself in front of, you're being formed by something else. Or the way that John Stott once put it, he said, no one has ever drifted into godliness. It's never happened in the history of the universe. An hour and a half on a Sunday cannot possibly compete with the forces that are constantly shaping your souls. And this is not just a matter of personal kind of piety or faith. I would say that there's never been a time where, in my mind, it's been more urgent for us to be aware of these forces that conform. So if you look at the polls, there are people who are walking away from faith, leaving church, deconstructing, rejecting Christianity. And if you were to ask them, why are you leaving Christianity? Why are you rejecting these truths? Most of them would not say because there's a change in belief. Because, you know, and most of them would say some version of this one word, hypocrisy. Uh, So there was a Me Too movement, but there's also a Church Too movement, just with Bible verses sprinkled on top. 
There's racism in the structures of our society, sedimented year over year into the structures of our society. There's racism sedimented into the structures of the church. It's just Bible verses sprinkled on top. Uh, churches are more segregated than the neighborhoods that they worship in. These are the forces that conform, and they're powerful and they're imperceptible. And so that's my first point. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. The world is constantly seeking conformity. And so what is it that can break the spell? What is it that's going to break the power of these forces that are conforming us? And that's what I want to look at at the second point. So the first point, the forces that conform. The second point is the beauty that transforms. Let me read verses 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 33 to the end there for you. It says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, what's happening in these verses? Do you know what the book of Romans is? Have you ever read through the book of Romans? This is Romans chapter 12. Romans is probably one of the most tightly argued, densely theological, academically driven argument that Paul makes in the entire Bible. He is writing a theology paper. He is writing for the academy at some level. And in the midst of writing this dense theological treatise about the election of God, about the sinfulness of man, about the grace of... He's writing all this densely argued theological treatise. Paul, in the midst of this academic exercise, basically just loses his mind about the mercy of God. He's writing a Presbyterian document, but these moments are a Pentecostal moment. He almost, he's, it, you can imagine him putting down his pen and just reeling at the mercy of God. And he writes it into this letter. He's talking about election, the remnant of Israel. He's talking about predestination. He's talking about all these things. And in the midst of that, he reels at the mercy of God and he breaks out into poetry. He loses his mind because he stands in awe and wonder at the beauty of the love of God. See, what's happening for Paul was he knows. He was a man who was conformed by the patterns of this world. He's conformed in the Roman Empire as a Roman citizen. He was an academic, uh, academically outstanding. He was pursuing achievement. He was also shaped by the traditions of his father. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. In the midst of that, he was also shaped by the racial assumptions of his time. He was somebody who was persecuting the church because he didn't want the Gentiles coming into the community of faith. And so here was the Apostle Paul man shaped by the conforming forces of his world, but then what happens? He runs into, like a truck, the mercy of God, and it fundamentally and eternally changes him. And so he says, brothers and sisters, in view of this mercy, in view of this love, don't be conformed. There's something far better. He saw for himself the beauty that transforms, the beauty of the love of God. And I want to ask you today, do you know what that's like to barrel into the mercy of God? 
Do you know what it's like to go from a religion that teaches interesting doctrines, that keeps you busy with activity? Do you know what it's like to be kind of caught up in a ten de theologically densely argued um, treatise and suddenly run into the mercy of God personally? I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about this. He, in one of his essays, he talks about how, you know, when you're a kid, some, maybe some of you did this. When we were a kid and we were left alone, and I'm Gen X, so we were left alone like all the time. Like that's all we did. We just we came home, we were just home alone, that's all we ever did. Uh, but if you're left alone and when you're little, if you, maybe you've done this, and C.S. Lewis talks about it, but sometimes you can get kind of bored, and so you start to play burglars. Like you start to present, what would happen if like a robber tried to break into our house? Like where would we go? And then as kids, so we were like under the bed in the closet. That's all we ever did, right? We grab, a, we grab a mop and we go under the bed, right? Where would we go? And C.S. Lewis asks us to imagine, like, imagine that you're a kid playing burglars and you're imagining that there are robbers coming in and what are you doing? And then at some point he says, you stop. And you say, wait a minute, was that a real footstep I just heard in the hall? And he says, you can dabble at religion for all of your life. Man, search for God. You can dabble at the theology, at the philosophy. But at some point, you're going to get to a point where you say, wait a minute, was that a real footstep I just heard in the hall? We didn't mean to actually meet God. And we certainly didn't mean for God to come and find us. Have you met God in that way? Has your faith gone from playing at church to encountering the living God in all of its terror but in all of its mercy and love? Do you know what that's like? Because, look, unless you have tasted the beauty that transforms, all of this is just going to feel like religion, traditionalism, moralism. That's all it's going to feel like. But until you have encountered this mercy, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It will all just feel like things that you should do, things that my mama told me I should do, things that I know that I probably should do. But when you've met the beauty of God yourself, it changes everything. So here's another quote. A French author who wrote uh, Little Prince, he says this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood. Don't assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Have you seen the endless immensity of the love of God for you? How much of church feels like drumming up people to go get wood? How much of church feels like tasks and assignments? How much of following God feels like all these things that you should do? If that's where you are, I want to ask you, have you seen the endless immensity of the love of God for you in Jesus Christ? Because here's the gospel. You could go to church and you're like, yeah, you know, Christians have some really interesting, really intellectually compelling beliefs. They believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God. They believe he actually died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the grave. And you might hear all that, and you're like, yeah, that's really interesting. It's compelling. Or maybe like, yeah, it's old hat, but I know that, that that's what Christians believe. But at some point, you have to say, when you say Jesus died on the cross, at some point you have to realize it's Jesus died on my cross, the cross that I deserved, 
that Jesus died a death, yes, but Jesus died my death that I deserve, that Jesus was punished, that Jesus received the justice of God, yes, but he received my punishment, my justice, that this person who did this for you wasn't your friend, it wasn't your father, it wasn't your mother, it wasn't a family member. This person was someone who, who you barely knew, and he took your place. And at some point, you have to say, it wasn't just some dude in Nazareth. It was the eternal son of God who left heaven itself, who didn't have to do any of this, who could have stayed in the safety of the glory of heaven and who could wash just all, ruin all of creation, who didn't have to do any of this, but the eternal son of God walked the expanse of creation and he came and he died a gruesome and bloody and excruciating death. Not in general, he did it for you, for your sin, because he loved you. That the blood that was spilled was not the blood of an innocent sufferer. The blood that was spilled was the blood of God himself. And he did it for you. At some point, God's spirit has to breathe those doctrines, breathe fire into those doctrines. And bring them to life. And so I love the way that James Baldwin, the great American prophet, I would say, says it. He says this, salvation is real, as mighty, and as impersonal as the rain. And yet it is as private as the rain on your face. Has the rain of God's love, have you felt it drip down your face? that it's for you. Because, friends, the forces that conform are so powerful, the forces that are making you the perfect consumer, the forces that are shaping you to be the perfect uh, political left or political right, the forces that are forming you to be the perfect whatever are so powerful that it's only something so beautiful, a truth so moving, a love so personal, that can pierce through and break the spell and its power over you. Do you know that love? So let's look at the third and final point, because you might be thinking, I want this love to transform me. I, don't, I want my life to be conformed to this love, so how do we do that? So let's look at the third and final point. Forces that conform, beauty that transforms. Third, the life that is reformed. Let me read verse 1 to you. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to focus specifically on this imagery of offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, because that image is a strange image. It's shocking even. Because if you were in ancient, uh, in ancient Rome at this time, uh, sacrifices were a regular part of your life, like public sacrifices, religious sacrifices. So bringing animals to an altar and killing them on that altar, those sacrifices were a regular part of life. So this idea, this image of a living sacrifice would have been shocking. Because when you think about a sacrifice, it is a bloody dying sacrifice slain on an altar, but a living sacrifice is almost like something like out of a horror movie. I hate horror movies. My family knows this. Like I am such, I'm so weak. I'm such a wimp when it comes to horror movies. But imagine if you think about this image, a living sacrifice is kind of like an image out of, an, out of a horror movie, a sacrifice that moves, that's alive, 
even as it's offering itself as a sacrifice to God. And Paul says, you are to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? You know, the old kind of bloody sacrifices of death were easy because you did it once, you killed the thing, you, maybe you do it once a week, whenever you kill the thing and you're like, we done, I can wash my hands, I can go on with my, but, but a living sacrifice, what do you have to do? You have to moment by moment, every second of every day, every time you wake up, offer yourself unto God. Moment by moment. And so when you're at work, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. When you're at school, to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Not just at church, not just at home, not just in your private life. That in every area of your life, it says, offer yourselves as this living sacrifice, moment by moment, every breath that you take, offer unto God, saying, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, Christianity is a faith that refuses to be compartmentalized and privatized. It's to decide, I will not be conformed to the way of this world. I will not be conformed to the way of my school, to the way of my workplace, to the way of my neighborhood, to the way of my... I will be conformed to the way of Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Let me wrap up here. I want to give you three very practical things that actually we see right here in the text. How do we live this life that's reformed? How do we do the things that prevent us from being conformed and instead live out a transformed life? The first thing we see it actually in verse 1, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, do all these things. So what he means by that is return time and time again, return back to the mercy of God. View God's mercy again and again and again like a moth to a flame Come back to the mercy of God over and over and over again until it ignites in your hearts. The mercy of God. Angels even long to look into these things. And so one author, uh, Richard Loveless, he says this. He says, each of us, we start our day with our personal security resting not on the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or our recent achievements. Since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we are inevitably moved either to discouragement or to a self-righteousness that falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. And then he says this, but the faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and acceptance from other sources is the secret to peace. Do you know how to warm yourself at the fire of God's love? so that you can stop trying to steal acceptance and love from these other sources. Do you know how to do that? To return to the mercy of God. And so one of the practices that we talk about in our class that we do here at Redeemer East Harlem is a weekly Sabbath in worship. What's the point of that? It's to return again and warm ourselves to the fire of God's love in view of God's mercy. Always view God's mercy. Keep God's mercy in view. In view of God's mercy, offer your body's living sacrifice. So this gathering, this worship, is placing ourselves before the fire of God's love so we can stop stealing acceptance and love from other sources. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we see it in verse 2 where it says, uh, offer your bodies a uh, uh, living sacrifice too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is it that renews the mind? This is a constant immersion in the word of God. 
to come to the Bible and say, this is the script that will narrate my life. This is the story that will give me my identity. This is the narrative that I place myself in to find my purpose, that I'm not going to pursue the narrative of self-expression and self-fulfillment. That's not where my fullness will come. That I'm not going to pursue the narrative of the American dream, that if I work hard enough, I'll be rich. I'm not going to pursue these other narratives. Instead, I will find my heart and my life renewed by the word of God. And so the second practice that we talk about in that class is daily prayer and scripture. Meditating on the word of God until it ignites in our hearts. Do you do that? Do you have a regular practice of that? And third and finally, so that weekly Sabbath and worship, putting yourself before the mercy of God, renewing your mind with scripture daily, scripture and prayer. Uh, Third and finally, it says, offer your bodies, verse 1, as a living sacrifice. What's interesting, it says, offer your bodies, plural, as one single living sacrifice. You can't obey 12-1 on your own. That when we come together, we offer our bodies as one single living sacrifice. And what I mean by that, what that means for us is is that we're called to live our life in the community of God's people. Not just attend an event on Sunday, but to live our life in the community of God's people. Are you embedding yourself in the community here at Redeemer East Harlem? Are you living your life with us? So the forces that are conforming you and me every second of the day are carving out the caverns of our soul. And we're about to walk right back out into the wind and into the rain, like literally and figuratively. I didn't plan that, okay? We're literally about to walk back out into a world that is constantly carving out the caverns of our soul. Do we know what it looks like to live in a different way? Let me close just as the one quote. If you've heard me, you've heard me quote this because this is one of my favorite things. But Dr. King preached on this very passage, Romans 12:1, And he put it this way, and I'll just close with this. He says, this hour in history needs a dedicated circle of transformed nonconformists. We need to recapture the gospel glow of the early Christians who were nonconformists in the truest sense of the word and refused to shape their witness according to the mundane patterns of the world. Willingly, they sacrificed fame, fortune, and life itself on behalf of a cause they knew to be right. If the church of Jesus Christ is to regain once more its power, message, and authentic ring, it must conform only to the demands of the gospel. The healing of our world will come not through the complacent adjustment of a conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. May God make Redeemer East Harlem a people of creative maladjustment in a conforming world. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, by your spirit, show us the forces that are conforming. Show us the urgency of this call to be not conformed. Lord, help us, Father, to experience your mercy so distinctly that it would capture our hearts and our imaginations. And Lord, help us here as a community to be a community uh, that gathers before the mercy of God time and time again, that is deeply steeped in the word of God, that in our life, in our community together, we know what it's like to offer our bodies together as a single living sacrifice. Make these things true of us, Because what the world needs is a creatively maladjusted minority. 
Lord, help us to be that for your glory and for the sake of the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem Podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.